This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Paul. Hi, I'm Misa. And we're going to talk about the man with the getaway face. Ooh. Uh, Richard Stark novel, a.k.a. Uh, Donald Westlake or Donald E. Westlake novel, uh, first published in 1963. And I think this is the first book I started with uh, in the series, so that I wanted you guys to start with it uh, as well. <laughs> Thank you. And I Even have, though it's number two in this <laughs> Thanks for starting as a number two. Yeah, everybody seems to recommend number one, and I think there's a good reason not to. Um, but I, I like, I remember really appreciating this one. And I, I don't know if you guys know this, but I'm not a much of a series guy. Um, no, I know that. <laughs> so, um, I wanted to get your, um, your take on it. Obviously I liked the book enough to recommend we do a show on it. What, what did you guys think? What did you think, Misa? Excellent book. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. It just whipped along mm-hmm. and, and, uh, so much fun. Great book. Paul, I, I I really enjoyed it a lot. I I kept thinking of two strands as I was reading this book, and we can develop them in more detail. But yes, my, but the the short answer is, yeah, this is great. Why haven't I read this sooner? I, I think everybody should read more Donald Westlake. Um, I, I I I'm I'm sure I've read this at least two or three times. Uh, it's so short. It feels mm-hmm. uh, I thought I thought it was even shorter than it was, but I think it's the mourner that I'm thinking is was only three cassettes, which was, uh, you know, back in the cassette days. And uh, I think the version I sent you guys, uh, the audiobook, had the cassette changeover points. And stuff it and did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Points about changing the cassette. Yeah. <laughs> and um, what happens if your cassette breaks? That, that, that's not amusement. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's very nostalgic. Um <laughs> I want to. Uh, what would you think of the narration? Uh, the narrator, Michael Kramer. It's good. Smooth delivery. Yeah. So he's he comes from the old school where I mean these were recorded a long time ago. So he doesn't do a lot of uh, different voices. He just changes his voice a little bit. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> I I think he's terrific. And the thing is, is he does n- narrate most of the rest of the books in the series. But um, I thought, oh, it's just his voice. He's just awesome, right? So I I, I started listening to other books that he narrated, and uh-huh. they're not. <laughs> he's okay, but he's got a really good voice for Parker and thinking of um, of that world. But if he narrates the comedic, uh, more comedic, um, Richard or uh, Donald Westlake books, they're not as good. His voice, his voicing of them is. It's sort of even less good. So for me, um, he's like a one-trick pony, right? He can only narrate one kind of <laughs> audiobook for me. But uh, I so the like, pared down kind of yeah less adjectives, adverbs kind of book. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, what did you guys sense about the backstory, the the first book that's in there? I mean, it's it's sort of explicitly stated, I guess, but it's. I, I didn't feel like when I read this the first time, I didn't feel I needed to read The Hunter. Or maybe I did. I don't know. I went out and tracked down every book in the series. Very difficult mm-hmm. at the time. Um, and I can tell you, it is not, it's much better just to read this. <laughs> it's to read the first book. 
But uh, what, what did you guys sense of the backstory before the before the bandages came off? Well, my my most question was his wife. I wanted to know who this woman was that had him so tied around his finger mm-hmm. that he still loved her so much, <laughs> even after she tried to kill him. Um, so I wanted to know about her. And but the rest of it, it was really self-explanatory from who he is now. Mm-hmm. I I felt like I I mean I I want to read the first one, but I don't feel like I had to to get this to be totally immersed in this one, unlike with um the uh, engineers where i felt like i was i needed the backstory mm-hmm. right. yeah um yeah the, i, I want to know more about the wife and why she had had such a hold over his previous life but but the rest of it is kind of self-explanatory okay I had a job got ran afoul of the organization so he needs a new face and so now we have a new face and he's going to go back to his his uh crime habits that's mm-hmm. right he needs some money Money makes them all go around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, what, what, one of the things I noticed in the, uh, the in this read is is uh, I guess I wouldn't have known, and if I hadn't read so much Westlake and and Stark, is that mm-hmm. it's it is actually it's got a lot of humor in it. Um, <laughs> did you guys notice a lot of humor? Because it's sort of hidden. It's dry. It's dr- yeah, it's dry humor very dry mm-hmm. humor like mm-hmm. west likes humor anyways but um so it's not really parker uh, per se but all the all the characters uh who well, aren't parker yeah i mean at the very at the very end when he says when uh, Stubbs was was out to, he's when Stubbs says i'll get your face back and then <laughs> he brings i mean that's pretty funny yeah it, it is you know in a kind of harsh way yeah sick, sick. Uh, uh, way <laughs> Um, there, there's some situational humor, but, um, like, uh, there's a guy named Handy McKay in this book, right? He's the, he's one of the guy who lives. (laughs) Um, I believe he's in a later book as well, maybe three or four later books. Handy McKay, um, he's the guy who, who, uh, when he buys cigarettes from the vending machine, he throws away the, the, uh, cardboard matches and uses, uh, little wooden matches, to light his cigarettes, and he say, "Well, why is yeah. that important? Um, it's not really important." But he taps on his teeth with he probes at his teeth with his his uh, the the wooden end of the yeah. of the um, of, of the match, yeah. But then um, there's little things around like uh, Parker will. Didn't at one point he light his, he lit the match on his tooth? Uh, I don't remember that. But he did. But there is a thing. There is a um, a mention of a cigarette badly lit, um, <laughs> because he's like it only got half lit or something. Um, so there's like these little touches. Whatever uh, Westlake does is when he makes a character, um, he gives them a motivation. There's no wallpaper characters. There's always some. Mm-hmm. Like remember the sequence where Stubbs. Uh, is going from door to door. Uh, are you Sarah Connor? Sort of scene. You know? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, That's hilarious. Searching New York for right. his name. So uh, every person he he says, you know, are you this person? Um, Wells, I guess it was. Um, yeah. yeah. They Charles all Wells. have different reactions to him, and they all have like some of them want to fight. Some of them want, like, just, what's going on? Another guy's scratching himself. 
and then uh, he comes uh, to a homosexual uh, man's house, and he said, "Come on in, big boy." <laughs> it's like every kind of character uh, that is thrown up as a wallpaper character has some sort of motivation inside, and and that's very Westlake. That he gives every character some some life that they're living. He, I really found that like his characters were so clean, they were so all well defined and and um, individualized, really well done. Mm-hmm. You know what they want, and they do what they want, and <laughs> and uh, Parker interacts or bounces or gets wrapped up with them or Stubbs when we get the mm-hmm. narration with Stubbs. So yeah, mm-hmm. and the, the, uh, the structure. What did you guys think of the structure of the book? About how uh, we get the sort of there's I think there's three or four books in the book and then we jump uh, to Stubbs' point of view for a whole book and then uh, there's a scene ending where like uh oh what's gonna happen next then we go back in time and see it from Parker's point of view. I thought that was go ahead, myself. Oh, I I really liked it, but I I found it like I think that's something that's easier to read than to hear I because when I be heard right, it. Yeah. I, I, I was like, I had to stop and go back and listen again because I, I got lost. I, it was too too jumpy. Yeah. Whereas in a book, it's much easier. Uh, especially it like it, you physically get a page break, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> you turn the page. Yeah. And uh, I think that that's, that's – it is something you get used to, I guess, because he does this in almost every book. He has this sort of style where um, we're going to follow Parker around for a while and then – uh, you f- follow some of his rivals around for a while, and mm-hmm. it it changes things up. Um, so, what about the philosophy? <laughs> See the philosophy? Yeah, <laughs> I, I I I'm not sure why I love these books other than um, the philosophy, and I didn't realize, I guess, why I. Because I like I really don't read series books, you know. Like in general, there's a couple, you know. When I was a kid, I read uh, Lord of the Rings. I guess is a series. It's not really. No, uh, no, it's it's one novel. And, yeah, I, I I get, I, yeah, I get that. Yeah. Right? But you know, there's the Hobbit, and then there's Lord of the Rings. So I mean, they're the same world, and it's more of the same sort of stuff. Um, not that that's a bad thing, but um, I I tend to not. Um, just want more of the same. I want, usually I, I go for ideas is what I, I'm going for. That's why I like science fiction or, you know, in a fantasy, they've got some rules or how, however it works, right? I don't read Westerns is what I'm saying, right? Where, you know, the mm-hmm. cowboy rides off and he comes to some town and he gets into a saloon bar fight. It's not, there's no romance element, <laughs> um, to it where I, I've got a sort of wish fulfillment or anything like that, that, draws me into series and i was thinking about what series i've read that is the longest like i read a science fiction p uh series by mike resnick that was maybe five books long mm-hmm. um and i really liked that i i enjoyed it um but they're sort of digestible right you read it and you're done because he has a sparse spartan uh sort of dialogue driven storytelling but um this book is this book series is like 24 books or 28 books long depending on how you count something like that mm-hmm. and I read the whole thing wow wow exception that proves the rule 
Yeah, and I like I don't think I sort of identified it instantly, but you know I I majored in philosophy at university, and I uh, was reading these while doing philosophy, but I wasn't doing the kind of philosophy that's going on in these books. Well, uh, then you would have a way better perspective of the philosophy than us. I mean, yeah, have- but um, <laughs> I think you can identify it. So we like Parker, right? Yeah, he's our, he's our protagonist, sure. Well, we like him in a certain sense. Like, of course, he's a murderer, right? Um, he's a murderer he's and a, a thief. thief. <laughs> he's a thief. He's a murderer. He's a liar. I mean, we don't even know his real name. Parker's probably not even his real name. Because- oh no, it's clear. It's clear he's had a couple different names, and probably mm-hmm. a different name in the first novel, which we hadn't seen. So no, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's Parker, and he's got some pseudonyms in in that first book as well, but. I mean, the only one that's consistent throughout the whole series is is the name Parker. But it's probably not even his real name, because at the very end of this book, he says it was going to be nice being Charles Willis for a while. Right? Yes. Um, was Charles Willis his Florida name? Yeah, that's his Florida hotel name, right? Yeah. Okay. And you remember that bit where he has to explain to the manager, um, I'm the Charles Willis. And like, apparently this plastic surgery is... Utterly transformative, right? It, it, it's science fictionally good. It is, isn't it? It's because it nobody is. recognizes him. He's confident the the mob is not going to recognize his new face. It's like, yeah, it's science fictional. It's it's a piece of science fiction technology. You're one you're one give for a science fiction novel, yeah, and the rest true. flows from it. <laughs> but I what I like most about the the structure is the symmetry of him start. He starts off the book taking off the bandages, right? The rest of the book is basically him trying to maintain that new identity that he's created. And then at the I, end, it was all useless. So the, the, there's a kind of philosophy in there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, in the sense that, you know, you can try and make yourself new, but you can't really be new. Um, right. th- that's you're yourself you can, in the bottom you can of take, the You can change your face, but you're still you. That's, yeah. That's right. And... Um, people will still recognize you, <laughs> even when you're utterly unrecognizable. Um, and so you, you get a sense at the end of this book that he's he's going to go off to Florida for a while, recharge his batteries, right? And then he's going to, instead of approaching the problem from, I'm going to hide by getting a new identity, I'm going to go take on the mob instead. Mm. Um, and that is a kind of... Um, growth that you don't see in characters who aren't him in the book so think about how he talks about handy mckay uh handy mckay is the guy who he's the assistant in the um the steel hit that's the other name for this book the steel hit which is a good oh really yeah oh okay um not a terrible name sounds like it's gonna be tough um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, not, not robbing an armored truck. Yeah, so in robbing the armored truck, um, the the uh, other guy, Handy McKay, who's the experienced uh, criminal, he oh he doesn't know himself. He always is, is on the verge of retirement. Right, I'm just going to yeah. do one last yeah. job. Yeah, and he's reliable um, to Parker in the sense that he's not going to turn him in. He's not going to ask for more of the split than than the other characters like May and the the oh, no was it May? Uh, Alma? Alma. Alma. Okay, the the waitress, right? 
Alma, uh, yeah. Yeah, so her and her um uh her beau uh was his name Slim Skim. Skim. Right, Skim. Skim. They all have these pretty stubs and Skim. They all have pretty <laughs> funny names. Um he doesn't know himself either. He he doesn't know what he's done. He's uh he's sort of a reflection of the stupid Parker from the first book, right? Or the the book prior to the book that doesn't is the first book, right? In that his wife uh, or his girl turned him in, right? Or betrayed, betrayed him, him, right? And that, oh, yeah. Th- so there's there's that reflection of like I'm going to be a better person every day, <laughs> sort of like how to how to be a better better person. The the person we need to admire in this book in this very limited world is Parker, not just because he's the main viewpoint character. But because he has growth in a certain sense, he's trying to um, navigate his way in the world. And I think that's what I really like about it, the series, is that, yeah, he has completely different values than me. Like, uh, he values um, his his sort of own motivation over other people uh, and their goals, um, which is something I try not to do. But I also have to acknowledge that I have my own goals. Uh, so the main difference, I guess, is like I'm not willing to kill people over my goals generally, and he is willing to to kill people. But he doesn't like it. But, but yeah. not always. I mean, consider he could have killed Stubbs. Instead, he sticks him in a basement. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, and I mean, just tries to bite him in the butt. But he could have killed Stubbs, but he decided not to. No, I'm just going to lock you up. I'll let you out. Once this is all dealt with, of course, Stubbs can't wait, but he, yeah. he, he, there is an, I mean, there is a consistency desirable. He's not just a sociopath. I'll kill everybody gets in his way. He'll, he'll kill if he has to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He has his own internal set of rules, which I respected. Yeah. yeah. And I think we, we all want to have those, right? Um, <laughs> his, his rules are not our rules, but he has a set of rules that he follows. Um, and, the thing Westlake does in almost all of these books and and his he's got other series as well is basically I think the way he writes the novel is he he gets these characters sets them up like bowling pins right and then he throws down a ball that hits one of the pins and each of the pins has to naturally hit into each other but it's not predictable how they will exactly <laughs> Um, so when that's a cool visual, it yes, is, you, you've sorry. never seen me bowl <laughs> <laughs> well, or dominoes or something like that. But each of the, each of the characters who, who are in this book, they have to react within the knowledge that they have. Like, I really like Stubbs. <laughs> I thought he was, you know, he yeah, kind of heroic in his, his folly. He was, I felt bad for him. It's like, Oh I God, I'm so sorry for him too. We're going along. I was saying this is not going to end well for you, is it? <laughs> no. And he has the like he has his own he has his code and he his brain so mushed from too many hits. Oh no, that one time he got hit in the head with a two by four or whatever that he he can't uh, think it all through as clearly as he'd like. Uh, when his there's a a line something like when his thoughts ran through his mind like uh, they were on wheels. Right. Instead of sort of the slow, sluggish flow of. Oh, right. That was after he got out of the hotel, was it? Yeah. 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 And he's like just him being sick in the hotel 
Um, there's there is a deep philosophy I think going on. In fact, there is I, I tracked it down years and years ago. There's an article uh, somebody wrote for a fanzine uh, called "The Philosophy of Parker." Um, but I'm not sure. Like when I read it, I, I'm not sure it was the right philosophy. Um, I was thinking about what kind of philosophy this was, and I guess I didn't make the connection. But it's it's kind of like Epicureanism, if you guys know what that is. It's um, watch it tell the listeners. Please define. Well, it's uh, I I know it when I see it. Uh, it's kind of like um, gardening. Okay. Uh, Epicureanism. Let's see what it says on the Wikipedia entry. Uh, system of philosophy based on the teaching of the ancient Greek philosopher Epicurus. Very um, useful. He's an <laughs> atomic materialist, so he doesn't believe in God, right? He doesn't believe in um, a lot of things. Uh, so he has a general, a general skepticism about anything to do with God or divine intervention or anything like that. And it's kind of like um, pleasure is the greatest good. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Hence his visits to um, to Florida. In this book, he he visits a uh, uh, hooker. A couple. Yes, but only after the yeah, but only after the job. Apparently. After the job, yeah. he becomes very randy. Um, yeah. And uh, and he doesn't want to hit her, <laughs> but it was the only way to get a reaction. Or something like that. Yeah, yeah that kind of made That's what me he go. said, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of, um, I mean, it's from 1963, and it, as you yeah. saw in that video Misa uh, tweeted, um, it's it was designed to be written for men, right? Um, it was un, under and, the theory that this is uh, men buy paperbacks and women buy That was paperbacks. really interesting, the way he, he broke that out. <laughs> well, I think that was... <laughs> women buy hardcovers, men buy paperbacks. I mean... Is it wrong? I don't think I don't think it's I don't think it's right. But is it wholly wrong? I don't know. Uh, publishers would probably be in a better position to tell us, and that's what they apparently were telling him. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, Epicureanism is is you don't believe in God. You have to make your own ideals, and you have to take the pleasures of the earth while you can, because there is no heaven. Um, mm. And and the other sort of philosophy that I think that the books are sort of going for, especially when you read read them, sort of, you know, the first one and or the second one and the third one, and up the line, um, is it it's kind of like what Marcus Aurelius um, does, the Meditations. Basically, it's not a code of or a system of understanding the universe as much as a way of. Um, trying to live through the pain that is reality. So, so what what mm-hmm. do you do and why do you do it? Uh, you have to bear in mind that you're not going to be alive, that the pain is transit, transitory. I think there's a line in here about that. Um, uh, when the Wells has been shot in the leg or the knee, he says something, or it was the ankle, right? He says yeah. something like, uh, the pain, the pain is nothing. Um, and I think that there's something to that, right? Pain is a way of making your body say, don't do that. <laughs> your body's saying, don't do that. Um, and stoicism, which is what Marcus Aurelius is all about, uh-huh. is sort of not, um, dwelling in the pain and, and saying, why isn't, it's not fair like that. And it's more like, um, 
You can't rely on the state. You can't rely on your family. You can't rely on anything in the universe. Um, get used to it. And then deal with it. And get past mm -hmm. it. And, and, and combining that with Epicureanism, which is about, you know, increasing the pleasure. Uh, increasing the pleasure of the little things. So when you're going to get some coffee, when you grow some coffee in your garden, make sure it's a good bean. <laughs> Um, and if, if you live in a wet climate, make sure it doesn't get too wet. <laughs> like, it's very modest in, in its philosophical goals. So I think that that's why I was, became addicted to the series and uh, tracked down every book. I even had to get an interlibrary loan for one of them all the way from the Yukon, uh, wow. back in the time when they weren't all in print, I had to get a hardcover from the Yukon. <laughs> In order to finish. From the Yukon, wow. From the Yukon, yeah. <laughs> Apparently, interlibrary loans with the Yukon are possible. I know, who knew? I, I, know, I, never <laughs> I was surprised to learn it, but they helped me at the library, so I dragged it down. Um, wow. So, so, so one of the things I really liked about – okay, so I, I said I had two strands. I'll go with the lesser one first. So one of the things I really liked about the novel – it's it's a it's a small thing. It'll lead into the other one. It's just a small thing, but I appreciate the local, the quote unquote local detail mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. of of the New York, New Jersey area of the 1950s and 60s. It's like, oh, you take 35 to nine and go down the shore, and then you go across into Staten Island. It's like, I really, really dug that because, well. Those are my stomping grounds. I mean, I'm not. I wasn't born until 1971, so this is all taking place before I was born, but. I recognize that sort of terrain a lot and the way he evokes that sort of scrubby, sandy shore lot. Not so great. Troy. Well, when he, when he mentions the Amboys, it's like, it's Perth Amboy. It's like, mm -hmm. it, 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 and then crossing over into the set. Now it, it gave me good feelings to actually have something set in an area I could recognize and, and realize, yeah, he's get, he's 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 getting the details pretty right. You can go from here to here, and nothing felt like it was like you get sometimes when you read a novel set in your local area, and the details are all wrong. It's like he's, the park the, the park's not there, or something's completely whacked out of place. Or, it, it really it really went with the with the name getaway face. Yeah, like, mm -hmm. it's really you know tied to that earth where he was. That's um that's something you'll see throughout the whole series. He I don't think he ever goes east of Ohio or west of Ohio, pretty much in all the books. Uh, we get the mention of Florida, place where Westlake would winter, right? Um, mm -hmm. he's he's a New York guy, lives in New York or lived in New York. Um, the New Jersey area, all all the Hamptons, all the area around that, right? Um, so we all twenty five A, yep. Yeah, we get basically a tour of the whole East Coast. Um, including a trip to North Carolina in this book. I, I, I thought that sequence <laughs> was terrific where um, he shows up at the, at the place and, and the mechanic, Hey buddy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tries yeah. To, Dicker, dickering over a truck. Yeah. And then yeah. they talk about the points and uh, getting the, the, the lubrication and capping this and, and he was, so, he was such a great no shit guy. Like he exactly. couldn't be bullshitted. He couldn't be taken. And then you had the other guy practically begging to let him sell him the truck. 
but there's there's a realism to it too like what what i really like about parker is he's not a superhero like he doesn't have any knowledge that other people don't have uh he doesn't have you know a psychic superpower he's not bulletproof his aim isn't better than anybody else's mm-hmm. um he's he's canny but i think even like um when they talked about the battery right not a new battery buddy but a good used one. And then uh, I, I thought he was giving up on certain uh, points. It, you know, it doesn't have to be new because it doesn't. It, this this is a one time use vehicle. Right. And when he's driving up the coast uh, to bring it back to New Jersey or wherever their their steel hit is about to happen. I can't remember exactly um, the uh, he has to stop at a, a place and have it fixed again right so yeah i know that it's not like he 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 suckered him into uh some sort of deal but you notice um that he financed this through someone else even though he had the money because there's a policy he financed it himself yeah he said he'd find it uh, well no he said he he was financing it himself but i'm pretty sure he didn't um, I not, thought it was the other way. He said he was going to get someone to finance it, and then he financed it himself. I, I, to, that's what I thought it was. Yeah, I could be wrong, but I believe that there's a little sort of um, shading. See, he's lying to everybody all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so one of the things he says that is that sort of little lie is he stop, when he has to stop because it's uh, run out of uh, oil, it's leaked all its oil out, and it's I think it's out of water for the radiator. Um, they fix it up again at some place. And he says, this thing's only going to get you uh, another 500 miles or something like that. Um, and he says, he said, take sell it. it, sell it right before so you can get some money before they realize it's a piece of shit. Right. Yeah. And, and even that little mechanic who never has a name, right? He says something like, um, he's, uh, Wes, Westlake says something like, you uh he, when he saw it he frowned but then he became interested right because it was a professional problem and he's a mechanic and that's what mechanics do is fix up vehicles so he he says here's what you do you take it to the dealer you sell it he might think it's it's got more more life in it than it does if you sell it right away and he says <laughs> i'll bring it a, buy again sometime and he pays him an extra bit of money like he gives him a tip why does he do that? I don't know, but I do know that it's not inconsistent with whatever characters behind it. And he could have said, "Yeah, I'm gonna go sell it," but he doesn't. He could have got like he he. There is some range for motion other than you know sort of the super efficiency that is that whole trip. He takes he gets that truck, drives it up there, has the doors welded shut on on the right side. So that they can prevent the guys from getting out and use it in their heist, right? But it's a one-time mm-hmm. use vehicle. All that, all that work and all that money spent to get it just to throw it away because it, there's some sort of efficiency. You know what I just noticed when you were talking about that? There was never any mention of they left those trucks where they were, didn't they? And they didn't like clean them up or get no. rid of fingerprints or, or anything like That's that. Right. It was just off we go. Like they didn't, he didn't care at all. Well, part, part about of the it, aftermath. Part of it, uh, there's a line in there near the end, something about him, his fingerprints being on an FBI card somewhere. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of the reasons he doesn't kill people is because it's stupid, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And he, is that a reference he, to the first novel? Uh, no, well, he does kill people in the first novel, but no, those are all like, you know, they're not really murders because it's all, <laughs> it's all Business. like bad guys, right? <laughs> uh, I guess. But, uh, bad hombres. You bad hombres. Okay. Um, so he's he's got he's got uh, I think w- when he they leave all their fingerprints all over everything because they didn't kill anybody. Um, nothing's gonna happen. I think that's the idea. Remember, oh, revealing it from an earlier so time. So the, the the robbery doesn't matter. It, it basically, as long as you don't get caught. Um, red-handed, right? That's the, that's the thing. He, he, uh, they leave the trucks behind. Um, that that cop never shows up again, right? The one that pulled him over. Yeah, the one he was so scared of. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, there's sort of like uh, you you only have to do so much work. You don't have to worry. He makes crime seem a lot easier, maybe than we think it is. But but there's some weird details even with that like taking the, like instead of leaving the coins there he purposely they purposely take the coins and scatter and spread them mm-hmm. which I thought was a really weird detail like why not just leave the coins behind mm. I mean I mean yeah, why'd not, you have to bury them I I, I mean it's it stated like oh yeah the coins aren't aren't worth their their weight you don't want there's only a few hundred dollars here they're more trouble than they're worth mm-hmm. so then why take the coins go to the trouble of scattering them through the Northeast woods and then burying them and forgetting about them. Why bother? Why just just leave them there? What, what does that get you? I mean, it was an interesting little detail. Imagining him stumbling through these woods, finding places to drop pennies, but it's like, hi. Yeah. Like that's the thing is you're, you're paying attention to the details of the coins, but you're not paying attention to your fingerprints. Yeah. Yeah. There, 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 I think one of the things we're supposed to get, uh, you saw it in that video as well, um, that you found myself. I think that's on the Parker DVD extras. Um, okay. uh, they're the, I can't remember the name of them. There's a Mel Gibson version of the first book. I can't remember the name of them. Payback, I think is what it's called. Is that really based on this? On yeah, Payback is is supposed to. No, it's not. There's no book adapt movie adaptation of the novel we read. There's lots no, of adaptations the of of the Hunter, which is the one we did we skipped, the first book. The reason I, I I think the reason we should skip the first book is because it's a revenge book, mm-hmm. and. He's not really the character he is yet. Well, because and because yeah, that was a that was a, th- a throwaway, right? Like this yeah, is the right. character he that he's going forward with. That's right. Where it's a series, exactly. He expected, you know, bad guys get punished, they they get arrested in the end. So that whole book, to me, it doesn't fit with the philosophy that's going on in the rest of it, um, mm-hmm. which is basically. Uh, I don't know if you not, you guys know this, but you can't trust the police and you can't trust the government and you can't trust um, your family. <laughs> I don't know if you know that. I mean, That's it's sad and we want to do all those things. But if you do, you get betrayed. I'm not saying that you can't rely on your family. Sometimes you can, but they also get brain tumors and ma- that changes them. And then they're not as reliable as they used to be. Basically, um, you can't rely on. You can't trust yourself then. 
Exactly. Right. It's a, it's a kind of horror. Right. Yeah, that that that's a line from G.I. Joe Cobra Commander says, "Trust no one, not even yourself." <laughs> and the kids' cartoons like, "What the heck philosophy is this?" Well, if you can't trust Cobra Commander, then who can you who trust? Can the Cobra? You? That's right. Uh, who's the one uh, on uh, that show who sounds like Starscream from the Transformers? Is, is that Cobra Commander always screaming his proclamation? Yes. Yeah, and he's the one with the the mirror face as well. Yes, yes. There's that's a, the guy. a lot of deep philosophy in that show. I'm guessing. But uh, but th- th- I just gave you a piece of philosophy from that's the show. That's what I'm saying. Well, it's like the main bad guy has a mirror face, so when you're confronted by him, you are the bad guy. You're seeing Ooh. yourself. That's right. And <laughs> wow, you know, this podcast went in a weird direction. Sorry, <laughs> folks. <laughs> well, I just think that that's um that's because you know because. Parker is the protagonist. When you read a book, you sort of fall into whatever philosophy that the author's giving you. And this mm-hmm. is that is the philosophy of Parker, which is you can't I mean, think does he ever care about breaking laws? Yes. No. When he, he's driving to Oh, his, he cares about the laws of the speed of the of that, the road. That's right. Can't afford to get pulled over right now. Mm-hmm. Right. right. That he's that's about worried about license plates a lot like oh yeah those places mm-hmm. would give me lots of trouble yeah right. but it's also efficient though it's, it's only all about to his ends that's right it's about not getting for stuff the done. law itself and and what so the other thing is why does he keep robbing these i mean he starts the move uh, the movie he starts the book with a suitcase full of money right why doesn't he just like yeah. uh and the other thing that's mentioned in here is he he owns a bunch of businesses around the country, right? Yeah, that was pretty gas, cool. Gas stations and other things Parking like lots that. or something? Parking lots and gas stations, right? Which is, of course, hilarious because his name is Parker. Um, yeah. <laughs> Did you read when, when, Wes, when Westlake said, I should have named him something yeah. else because how many times could I say, where's Parker, Parker, Parker going to park the car? The car? That's right. <laughs> I mean, he, he is essentially a humorist always, Westlake. And so even in this a book that's basically deadly serious, right? Um, mm-hmm. it, it, I mean, it's right in the title. That's why the steel hit is not as good a t- of a title. The man it's with a the getaway title. face. Come on, there's no. Did, such did you thing did as, you see how many how many reasons did you see for that name? I don't know how many are there. I don't know, but I found three. Well, let's hear. Well, him with his getaway face. Sure. And then, and then when when the first book was written, and he originally had it that Parker was killed or put in jail, and the editor from Pocket Books said, "Can you have him get away? Because right. I'd like to see more of these books." So there, and then the, the face, face and bag yeah. at the end. Right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, he got away with the head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so whenever whenever you've got one of these books, so the next book is called The Outfit, um, which is him confronting uh, what he calls The Outfit. And he always has this debate with people. They're the syndicate. No, they're, they're called The Outfit now. <laughs> there's, no, there's nobody can just like, fine, let's just go with one name. Um, so the next book, he fights with The Outfit, right? Um, and there is a terrific movie adaptation starring Robert Duvall. It's mentioned in that video. Um, uh, well worth watching. Uh, that oh, so it's not 13 Dresses with Jennifer Garner, then? 
do not know that yeah. one. <laughs> it, how's the connection there? No, there is no connection. Okay. Just dresses and outfit. No. Oh, I got you, got you. Okay, got it. Um, and it, right, he says he does three books a year for for that publisher. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so the hunter comes out sixty two. Then he does three books in 1963, including Man with a Getaway Face, The Outfoot. And then there's this book called The Mourner, which is uh, named after a statue um, that everybody's after. Um, and that's a pretty good book. Then we go into The Score, which is um, is a really interesting book uh, because it's uh, parking a bunch, a whole bunch of criminals instead of just like two or three um, it's like a truckload of criminals take over a, a town um, and rob the whole, entire town. Um, it, did Alan Arkin make a movie about that? It sounds like an Alan Arkin movie, doesn't it? it does yeah. It's yeah. pretty pretty fun. Um, then things. What, what I like about it is each book leads to the next in a certain sense, but each of them also stand completely on their own because of the way he's just such a good writer. The the next book is called The Jugger. And a jugger is a guy who can open safes. I guess that's a jug, hmm. right? Um, the next book is called The Seventh. And the reason it's called The Seventh is because it's the seventh in the series. <laughs> but also because they have to split the money seven ways. Oh, uh, but I thought he didn't like to go over five. Uh, uh oh. He breaks all. Uh, every t- Whenever something bad goes wrong, in a book, it's because he broke one of his rules. And that's why it's kind of like philosophy. And it's like, okay, I've learned a lesson. I've got to change my policy. And what, what rule that went wrong in this book? One, he trusted uh, the doctor, even though he knew he shouldn't. Because the doctor uh, looked up, uh, opened his letter, remember? Yep. Oh, yeah, yeah. He steamed open his letter. And I like how the doctor just confesses, yes, I steamed it open. <laughs> <laughs> I get bored. <laughs> and he gets so few patients. Yeah, poor guy. And, and you know, um, I, I sympathize with the doctor because he he was a red, right? The reds got suppressed. He had to. He lost his uh, not his license, but he lost his ability to practice. So he goes. Mm-hmm. He turns to crime, right? Mm-hmm. Stubbs gets hit in the head uh, as a a union organizer. Um, gets hit in the head and has to work for this doctor. He used to think only about the party, and now he can't think, he doesn't understand any of that. He could only remember the people. There's a lot of pathos in it, right? It's it's basically mm-hmm. everybody in the world's broken. If they're broken in, a, in the wrong kind of way, that can be dangerous. And so uh, each of these books is like him trying to refine his... Um, outlook and how to live in the in the world so his mistake in this book other than trusting the doctor which was an entire mistake because we know that in the end it it was useless now he's going to run around for the rest of his life with a face that isn't his which is kind of interesting which is also Mm -hmm. true of you know how he goes around giving different names to everybody but that's pretty cool too for the author who's using a pseudonym that's right yeah uh, yeah, he talks about getting mad at Stark because Stark's getting all the love. <laughs> yeah, he's getting more famous. Um, so uh, on top of that, um, besides being uh, a mistake in trusting the doctor, he also is a mistake in trusting the uh, Lady May, right? Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Alma. Well, he, Sorry, but he Alma. Fixes that, yeah, he picks out pretty quickly that right. she's uh, not to be trusted. But yeah. Right. And, and he has a solution. Let her have her stupid plan of all cars going off in different directions. <laughs> right? Oh, you're talking about Alma now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I meant to say Alma instead of me. Uh, yeah. Um, it's not just the women who are untrustworthy in this world. Everyone is untrustworthy, right? Except even, for Handy. No, even Handy McKay is untrustworthy in the sense that he... He know his good skills. He knows he's not he's not a hundred percent as good as Parker at figuring stuff out, but he doesn't know himself, right? In that he oh, always thinks true. he's retiring, right? So mm-hmm. that kind of flaw is not dangerous, right? Because yeah, I I, I know where I can find him, and he even kind of knows himself. I think something when they split up, Handy McKay and him, he says. If you need to get in contact me with, you can get in contact me through some guy, right? Because um, mm-hmm. he kind of knows that, yeah, it's always one last job with me, right? But he doesn't really know that. Whereas Parker, he doesn't need the money, right? He starts off the book with money. So why doesn't he quit? Because there is no quitting in life. You have to do what you're good at. Is kind of uh, what I was thinking the philosophy is. Anyways, as the book series progresses... Um, you get these, like you get the jugger. This is a, a retired uh, guy who's can't, uh, safe cracker, right? Who uh, he—that's he, his problem. He retired and he went soft and became unreliable. Hmm. Um, and the handle. Uh, this is a good name because a handle is a name, <laughs> right? <laughs> and then we get a series of four books. Um, they seem to go in series of four. Um, so there's the, the hunter, the man with the getaway face, the outfit, the mourner, right? That is a sort of a dealing with the consequences of his marriage breaking up and, uh, being betrayed and, and dealing with the mob. The next, uh, next set would be, uh, the score, the jugger, the seventh, the handle, which is, um, about sort of working in big groups. Mm-hmm. And then we get a series of books that it's the humor starts coming out in the title. First one's called The Rare Coin Coin Score, uh, where they go after <laughs> yeah. numismatists, right? People c- collect coins. Numismatists. Numismatists. It's like kind of like philately, except philately is with stamps. <laughs> yeah. Um, Good words. <laughs> I know they're fun. Uh, the rare coin score they rip off like an entire coin show or money show right um the green eagle score um they all have score in this part of the series and that's uh where westlake uh uses his own backdrop in the uh, military we get actually a little mention of it here as well in real life westlake was a uh before he was a writer he was uh in the air force and he was an mp um, I believe he was an MP in the Air Force. Um, and so I, I guess that's where we get the military, uh, not the military, the um, police stuff, breaking mm-hmm. up, you know, arresting people and that sort of thing. Anyways, they're called snow tops because they have white helmets. Um, and uh, they rip off a uh, uh, Air Force base in the Green Eagle score. Mm-hmm. And then there's the Black Ice score, which is uh, Diamond's. And then there's, get this is the end of the score series, the Sour Lemon score. 
Oh, does that go so <laughs> no, well? Knocked down kids' lemonade stands. <laughs> yeah. um, wow, Parker. remember he he talked about in this book about this deal going sour. Oh yeah. Um, and then if you remember, his gun um, at the end is a sig sour, <laughs> so he called it the sour. Um, S A E R. Anyways, it's it, there's kind of like a lot of humor inside of it, especially in the titles. You you can see it. So the next book is called Deadly Edge, Slayground, Plunder Squad, and Butcher's <laughs> Moon. Right, that's another sort of series. And some of those are like one of them set in an amusement park, um, and one of them set a rock concert. So they rip off the takings from a rock concert, um, and then. Uh, in the 90s, after Butcher's Moon 74, he brings the character back in the 90s. For That's, I guess, the time I was really getting into Parker. Um, it came back. Uh, and the first book in that run is called Comeback, right? <laughs> and then, <laughs> but follow this. The next book is called Backflash. And then the one after that's called Flashfire. And the next oh, one he's after having that, a lot of fun. Yeah. It's yeah. Like Firebreak. And then we get the one he mentions, how Parker goes to prison, Breakout. So it starts with Comeback, and then he says, well, what's the next book going to be called? Backflash, right? So Back, Back, Comeback, Backflash, and then Flash. Mm-hmm. Flash, Fire, Fire, Break, Break. Fire, Fire, Break, Breakout. And then he, he says, oh, I run out. So he, he calls the next book Nobody Runs Forever, which <laughs> points out. Oh, he broke it. That's right. He, he keeps breaking them. Um, and then the next book after that is called Ask the Parrot, which <laughs> tells you this book has nothing to do with, you know, this is a humor series, right? Mm. Which is it's some line in the story about there's a parrot that, um, what did, That overheard what, what happened. Essentially what part, what West, Westlake or uh, Stark does is he, he takes um, a man who's a hard-boiled, badass criminal, and he puts him in funny situations and tries to make... Because Parker has no sense of humor, right? Yeah, he's a straight guy. Right? He's a straight guy, so we can laugh at the things. But um, it's like... Uh, I think he, he, he called in one interview somewhere. He's, he said... Um, well, he writes this other series called the Dortmunder series, which is it, they're basically like exactly the same setup as all of these books. They're heisters, right? They just steal money from different places, and they've got a bunch of characters. But those are explicitly comedic, right? The characters are a little broader, and the main character um, has all the trouble that Parker has, except he tends not to kill as many people. Uh, and he, he actually invented Dortmunder by writing a Parker book and seeing Parker on the side of the road trying to fix a tire, uh, after robbing a bank or something. And he said, Uh this is just too funny. I, I can't, this can't be Parker. So he changed it to the Dortmunder series and it, it, it turned into a completely sort of different book. But then I'm going to give you a little more history here. Um, then there's a, a set of four other novels that are of a spin-off character, also written by Stark. Those four other novels are about an actor who pretends 
to be a criminal, except he actually is, um, for his living. <laughs> so he's, he, he's an actor that pretends to be a criminal, but he actually is. Yes, he actually. So he's a he's a he thinks of himself as a thespian, right? But he <clears throat> he works in summer stock, um, and it doesn't make any money. Like it's not enough to live on. So he finances his uh, summer theater, outdoor theater that he really likes doing, you know, Shakespeare and all that, by uh, robbing banks in the in the wintertime. And he gets together with Parker in, a, in the score, the book five in the series or whatever. Um, and then he gets his own spinoff of uh, four books as well. But on top of all of that, there's another layer, which is, Inside of the Dortmunder series, which is, uh, I think, equally long, if not longer, than uh, which I haven't read all of, uh, of the Westlake uh, Stark books, there's these other Westlake comedic books that are essentially the same thing. Crime books, right? Um, one of the characters finds a Richard Stark novel, um, and they plan a heist based on that Richard Stark novel. So oh, sounds so fun. That, is, that, that, that's really meta. It is very meta. <laughs> so uh, that, that, that book is called Jimmy the Kid. It's by Donald Westlake. And it's a Dortmunder book in which there's a kidnapping. And so we get in that book, we get excerpts from the fake Parker novel, uh, Richard Stark Parker novel, in which Parker's doing this and Parker's doing that. Um, oh <laughs> there's no actual book called... Jimmy mm-hmm. uh, called uh, child. Oh, it's called Child Heist. It's the name of the fake book inside of Jimmy the Kid, um, and that was turned into a movie as well with um, with uh, Gary Coleman as the kid. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> so oh, I, I get. I guess. I guess if you like that, it's different strokes. <laughs> different strokes for different folks. Exactly. I would say you don't need to really watch many of the movies. Um, Westlake is really, really good as a as a novelist, and his movies are fun to adapt, I think, for people who enjoy the books, but less fun to watch generally. Hmm. Um, the, the, the more literary and less, yeah. I, I mean, even with the Mel Gibson movie, I guess it's yeah. better to read than to watch. But I, I wanted to bring up the other thing this novel mm-hmm. kept niggling at me as I was reading it, and I don't know if uh, Mice has read it but jesse you've read nine princes in amber haven't you uh, a long time ago yep right mm-hmm. okay misa have you no who's it by roger zelazny mm-hmm. who, who was a definite big fan of novels like this he actually even wrote late in his life a straight up kind of westlake homage mm-hmm. and as 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 this is novels going on especially in the early going with uh Westlake uh, getting his new face on thinking, now I understand really well what he does in the first chapter of Nine Princes and Amber. Let mm. me explain and spoil for the you and the listeners what. <laughs> so Nine Princes and Amber starts with with our our protagonist who doesn't even remember who he is, waking up in a hospital. He doesn't remember how he's got there, what he's done, what happened. And by bluffing, conniving, and figuring things out, he manages to uh, get himself on his feet. That first chapter feels, now that I've read this, very much like 
I'm going. I'm going to do homage to Donald Westlake here. Mm-hmm. See if you can see that. Like now, I see it years later, having finally read a Donald Westlake novel. I mean, I mean, just just the little details, the, the, the sort of very clippy dialogue, mm-hmm. the, the and the way it's told as well. Uh, with the, the way writer, it's told, the clo- how close how close the writer is to the characters' minds. I think you're right. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, once once Zelazny gets his character off of earth then yeah then it goes in completely different directions but while those first couple chapters where he's dealing with i mean, I mean it's also set in the new york area because he went because uh greenwood hospitals in w- westchester new york it feels very much like a, he's dealing with a westlake sort of setup and then goes into a completely different direction i really so i really appreciate you jesse for pointing me at this book because now i understand mm-hmm. one of my favorite novels of all time better for yeah, it. It, it, he Zelazny wrote um, crime novels uh, like almost everybody back then, right? You know, mm-hmm. Westlake started off as a science fiction guy, right? And like uh, Lawrence Block too. They Lawrence Block, uh, Lawrence Block, Donald Westlake, Roger Zelazny, um, and uh, also um, Stephen King. Uh, Stephen King, I guess. No, not Stephen King. Uh, there was another guy. Uh, a lot of a lot of people started off in the science fiction, and some people sort of branched off and started doing their own stuff. Um, Westlake explicitly quit science fiction uh, after complaining about market problems, um, and he, he was right to do so because he flourished uh, outside of it. But um, if you go to the Hard Case Crime website and look through the their catalog, which includes both old and new books. You'll see a lot of science fiction author names in there, including uh, Zelazny, um, mm. having you know written uh, a crime book because they were writers first, right? They have to make a living. Yep. They mm-hmm. they'll sell to whatever market's available, and oh, apparently science fiction books are hot. Let's go for that. Um, but as the people, you know, read other books by other authors and see what works, they they do totally influence each other. That's actually, I think I probably told you this. That's how I found Westlake and Stark, was by reading Lawrence Block. Uh, yeah. He had one of his characters reading uh, some, maybe it was this book or something, and I'm like, damn, that sounds like a good book, and so it's, <laughs> it's a real one. So the one thing we know about readers is they like to read, um, and writers have to be readers first, right, to get mm-hmm. that inspiration. And that's why they don't adapt that great as films. I mean, the outfit's pretty good. There, there's one mentioned um, with Lee Marvin playing Parker. Again, he's fine. The, the movie's not perfect because usually the problem is they want to adapt the first book. I was saying that if you were going to do this as an adaptation, you would do it as a TV show uh, and you would have one heist per year, right? One heist per be season fun. because there's so much setup. Right. Really? Yeah. Um, and I, I've seen other shows sort of do that, um, not not explicitly ripping off um, this, but in you know in the same style, trying to you know they get a crew together and do do the work. I wonder now. The answer I I I, I guess we have to ask a producer, or maybe it's somewhere on the internet. Um, have you ever watched Leverage? Yeah, I watched a bit of the first seasons. I didn't I, watch it all the way through, but I I did read about what you're probably thinking. Yeah, 
Misa? No, I know I didn't know. There, there, there is a uh, cat burglar thief as part of the crew and leverage, and she only goes by one name, and it's Parker. Mm-hmm. So I wonder. Oh no, it's definitely a lift. I mean, uh, this uh, that uh, the character named Parker gets picked up by a lot of people who who do things with it, and sometimes they change the name. There's a, a web comic called Grave Digger that <laughs> is it's essentially Parker and the the picture of him is Lee Marvin from uh, the adaptation. Of- didn't didn't uh, in that video Westlake say the the Parker was played by a black man, a white woman, right. uh, like a whole bunch of different people? And he said, I, I guess I just didn't define him well yeah. enough. <laughs> yeah. Everybody wants to get in on the action is the way I would put it. That's how it is in the gangster world. That's right. Got to yep. get a piece of the action. Got to get a piece of the action. Yeah. There was a there was a website. Did you see it called uh, Fifty Years of Parker? And it said no. Parker's rules. Oh. And there are fourteen rules. Don't ever show a gun to a man you don't want to kill. Yep. Don't ever talk to the law. Yep. Always split the money fair. Yep. Each man for himself. Yep. Don't kill somebody unless you have to. It puts your law on you like nothing else. Yep. Never leave a guy alive who you'd like to see dead. Don't let yourself be framed in a lit doorway. Don't meet in a town where you're going to make a hit. Don't stay in a hotel where you're going to make a hit. Don't take a job on consignment. Don't work with anyone you can't trust or you don't respect. When there's no place to hide, stay where you are. Any job that requires more than five guys to be pulled can't be pulled. And for a big enough score, anything, any rule can be broken. Wow. Yeah. I like how yeah, that you went. That's the rule that says none of these rules apply. See, that's <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. How it's about the loophole. It's about you know I I talked to you about this mice about a long time ago about how I I don't live my my life by uh, by whim. I have policies, right? Mm-hmm. I don't like say I'm gonna do this because it feels right because I I see other people who who I know who live that way and I think that always works out badly. So I. I have policies. I say I don't do this. I don't like, for example, I would never buy X without a coupon, <laughs> even if, <laughs> even if, uh, and you know, it's it's for a reason. There's some logic behind all of the policies, but the policies are always subject to review, right? Mm. And that's that's what I like about that that list, right? Is he's sort of improving, and that's why that first book's no good, is because he's all he's motivated by revenge, and. Um, he's be, been betrayed. He, he learned too late that um, his wife uh, was cheating on him. Oh, is that? Oh, I, I didn't get that from this book. She's che- she was cheating on him. Some some he was away from her for some time. Um, we we don't really see it much from her perspective, but turns right. out that uh, this guy named Mal, as you can tell, he's going to be a bad guy. His name is Mal. Um, they did. He did mention Mal in the yeah. in this book. Yeah, right. Mal, uh, you know, turned Lynn against him, and and uh, he he was doubly betrayed. She ended up shooting him. He was out for revenge at the beginning of that book, and um, the thing is, is it's in the very first line. Of, I want to read you, there's a list, a uh, really great list. If you type it into Google, you can find it. Uh, Parker, Richard Stark, first lines. So it's the first line <laughs> of each book, right? 
And the first line of The Hunter, it doesn't fit with the rest of them, really. Uh, it doesn't fit with Parker as a character. It says, when a fresh gay, when a fresh-faced guy in a Chevy offered him a lift, Parker told him to go to hell. So why did Parker say go to hell? Because he was angry. And Parker doesn't get angry, right? He gets annoyed. He uh-huh. gets irritated. Yeah. Um, and also because, as I think Westlake says in that interview you tweeted, um, he, I, I had this vision of a guy uh, walking across the bridge into New York, right? And, mm-hmm. and then he, he mentions also that um, he basically invents his own ID, right? He gets a piece of paper and he makes a driver's license uh, in a bathroom, um, or he goes to the the uh, driver's what do they call it? what do you guys call it down in the states the uh, driver's license bureau whatever it's called DMV the DMV he goes to the DMV gets a blank and ends up you know doing his own driver's license and making himself a uh, an identity and all so there's a lot of that recreation that we see in this book right but um it's all for a wrong purpose he's trying to get revenge he isn't out for money he isn't out to do what he's good at um so that it's right in that first line when the fresh-faced guy in the chevy offered him a lift parker told him to go to hell um whereas in the second book um, this one the first line when the bandages came off parker looked in the mirror at a stranger and of course that is sort of the classic way you introduce i mean maybe too cliche a classic way of introducing a character uh that you have them look in the mirror and uh, say my face isn't is i have high cheekbones and (laughs) (laughs) well it it, it reminds me of uh the first third doctor episode spearhead from space because because by the end of the second doctor, he's been forcibly regenerated by the Time Lords, dumped on Earth. He wakes up in a hospital and he looks at the mirror and he starts looking at himself like, huh, this is what I am now? Okay. Yep, this is who I am, yeah. All right. Spearhead from Space came after this book, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so, there. Oh, what? Did it? Yep. Um, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, next is, yeah, sixty-nine or so. So yeah. So the the first lines of um, most of the Parker novels have a start. Well, a lot of them start with the word "when," um, which mm-hmm. puts you right in the middle of the action, right? So mm-hmm. this one. There was something starts, else you once talked about how you yeah. like books that start in the middle of the action. I love. Well, I mean that goes right back to the Odyssey, right? Starts in he's on a beach. And some lady comes out and says, "Hey, dude, what's so what, what you said so depressed about my wife, right?" I was like, oh, she's a goddess, and she offered him immortality, and he he doesn't want it. He wants to go back to his wife. Right? Mm-hmm. I, I said, how did he get here? What is he doing on this island? Well, that's right in the middle of the action, right in the middle of the story, right? Um, yeah. So uh, the second book, uh, we did the opening line. Third book, the outfit. When the woman screamed, Parker awoke and rolled off the bed. <laughs> just again he's waking up in the middle of the action yeah the mourner when the guy with the asthma finally came in from the fire escape parker rabbit punched him and took his gun away <laughs> apparently there's a guy with asthma out on the fire escape with a gun trying to do bad things to parker but That's parker's right. ready for him the the score 1964 
When the bellboy left, Parker went over to, to the house phone and made his call. Not that one's not full of action. But made his his screen, though. It in his call, not a call, his call. Like his what call. call. That's true. Yeah. And and does start with when. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. When the knock came at the door, this is the jugger, 1965. When the knock came at the door, Parker was just turning to the obituary page. <laughs> oh, he's reading I'm the morbid. newspaper. But it's in the middle of the action. He's reading <laughs> the newspaper. Um, uh, the next is the handle, 1966. When the engine stopped... Parker came up on deck to look around. Parker on a boat? Yeah, Parker on a boat. Actually, I believe that's a pretty good one. That one, they heist a, um, a casino off the coast of Cuba, some island uh, near Cuba that's uh, basically a mob casino or something. Um, the, the, reading the paperback, like you flip over the book to see what it's about. And it's like, damn, that sounds good. <laughs> That's the time. It's just a high concept. Um, the, uh, the, it's good stuff. The 7th, 1966. When he didn't get any answer the second time, he knocked. He knocked. Parker kicked the door in. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The rare coin score, 1967. Uh, Parker spent two weeks. <laughs> this one's hilarious. Parker spent two weeks on the white sand beach at Biloxi. And on a white sandy bitch named Belle. <laughs> Whoa. How <laughs> funny he was restless. And one day, without thinking about it, he checked out and sent a forwarding address to Handy McKay and moved on to New Orleans. Right? So oh, goodbye, get Handy Belle. McKay back. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, 1967. This is the 10th book. The Green Eagle Score. Parker looked in at the beach, and there was a guy in a black suit standing there, surrounded by all the bodies in bathing suits. Sounds like, sounds like somebody from the FBI or something. Yep. Somebody up <laughs> for bad business. The Black Ice Score, 1968. Parker walked into his hotel room, and there was a guy in there going through a suitcase laid out on his bed. Uh-oh. That's not that good. guy's in trouble. That guy's in trouble. <laughs> the Sour Lemon Score, 1969. This is a great title. Parker put the revolver away and looked out the windshield. I'd have the revolver out. Exactly. Uh-huh. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Deadly Edge, 1971. Up here, the music was just throbbing under the feet. A distant pulse. So that's, the, I think that's the one where they rob a, a uh, concert Disco? in progress. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's like a rock concert. Like, uh-huh. I think it's supposed to be even like uh, the Rolling Stones or something. Oh, cool. Um, Slayground. 1971. Parker jumped out of the Ford with a gun in one hand and a packet of explosives in the other. Did you say wow. Ford or Fort? Ford. F-O-R-D. Oh, I'll go, oh. Wow, he's that's two-fisted action for you. It right is two-fisted, there. isn't it? Mm-hmm. This one, this this is the one that I had to get from the Yukon. It's called Plunder so- Squad, which I think is pretty great. Plunder Squad. Um, 1972. Hearing the click behind him, Parker threw his glass straight back over his right shoulder and dove off his chair to the left. Oh, so it's like shooting in the back. Wow. Yeah. Pretty good, right? Mm-hmm. Butcher's Moon, 1974. This is, I think, the biggest book. It's double-sized. Running towards the light, Parker fired twice over his left shoulder, not caring whether he hit anything or not. Um, notice that in the previous book, he threw something over his right shoulder. <laughs> now he's throwing it over, <laughs> shooting over his left shoulder. Uh, and then there's a break of uh, 
more than about 25 years. Yeah. Um, come back, 1997. When the angel opened the door, Parker stepped first past the threshold into the darkness of the cinder block corridor beneath the stage. I say, who's this nice. angel? I gotta find out who this is, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Come back from the dead. He come back from the dead. Literally, yeah. That's that's a really yeah. Westlake was clearly was playing with that because you know, twenty five years so later, comedic. he's winking at you the whole time in every every scene. Uh, Backflash, nineteen ninety eight. When the car stopped rolling, Parker kicked out the rest of the windshield and crawled through onto the wrinkled hood. Glock first. Well, you can tell, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now you can tell, yeah. It's now the nineties. He's using Glocks instead yeah, he's of he's using uh, a Glock Glocks. instead of six hours and uh, oh. Woods uh, Colt yeah. Woodsman's. Um, flash fire night uh, is two thousand. When the dashboard clock read two forty, Parker drove out of the drugstore parking lot. He had been parked. <laughs> and across the sunlit road to the convenience store gas station. Hey, that's where he's probably one of his. He spends a lot of them in the beginning in a in a get like driving, right? Yep. yep. Get he's away. On, he's on the. He's getting away. Firebreak mm-hmm. two thousand one. Uh, by this point, uh, Parker's got a wife. Really? Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> one that doesn't betray him. Yeah, uh, I believe she never does box. betray him. Um, she she. She sort of compartmentalizes her, her life. Um, he spends uh, sort of his Florida hours previously with her now. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh. Uh, but he's not fully domesticated. Um, no, because he's still in crimes. Yeah, and oh. it, it sort of parallels um, Westlake's own life, right? So but, but, he's been married a long time. Um, he, he goes to Florida with his wife now. <laughs> So, 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 so now you got me uh, not to interrupt your reading of the things. Now you got yeah. me wondering about Parker. I mean, I mean, it's clear these novels are taking place over years, but yeah. So, but he's not losing his step. He just is the same guy all the time. It's a good question. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll address it after I finish the list. <laughs> okay, getting close. <laughs> getting close. Okay. Um. So uh, we were at um. I think, yeah. Oh, so this is my favorite. Um, I think this is the best opening line of a book ever. It's Firebreak, 2001. Okay. When the phone rang, Parker was in the garage killing a man. <laughs> like, what the hell's going on? Oh, and while he's killing this guy in the garage, he's the phone's ringing, right? Uh, that, that, that reminds me of a meme going around the Twitter lately. What's that? Um, the The... It's like any novel can be improved by having the second line be, and then the murders began. Right, so people right. start taking first lines for things and and then adding that to that. I'm not sure you can improve Firebreak with that no. because he's already killing somebody. <laughs> it's pretty yeah, terrific. It's just redundant. I, think, I think that one has um, some some mansion getting knocked over, and there's a uh, uh, it's in the middle of a forest fire. Like there's a forest fire that's happening, and um, they they pretend to be workers who are fighting the fire, but they're actually robbing the houses. Um, so that, oh, that's horrible. That's... Well, yeah, but the houses are going to burn down anyways, or whatever. I don't know. Uh-huh. Um, breakout is the one that's when he's in prison. Um, I guess fire break didn't go so well. Uh, when the alarm went off, this is 2002. When the alarm went off, Parker and Armisen were far to the rear of the warehouse. Armisen with a crypt 
clipboard checking off boxes they'd want. So they're in the middle of a heist or something, or planning for yep. a heist. Mm. Uh, book 22 in the series, Nobody Runs Forever, uh, 2004. When he saw the one called Harbin was wearing a wire, Parker said, deal me out of hand, and got to his feet. So he's playing a game. Yeah. And he's really in the, and there's a there's a snitch in the game. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And of course he wouldn't play for fun. He's playing because they expect it they need socialization or something. Right. Right. Because uh, he's like a shark. He always has to keep moving. Yep. Do what's required, but he doesn't really enjoy those sorts of activities, apparently. Ask the parrot. <laughs> Two thousand. Oh, here we go again. When the helicopter swept northward and lifted out of sight over the hilltop. Parker stepped away from the tree he'd waited beside and continued his climb. Hmm. Well, right in the middle of the action, right? Yeah. And then this one, last last book in the series before uh, Westlake died, uh, Dirty Money, 2008. When the silver Toyota Avalon bumped down the dirt road out of the woods and across the railroad tracks, Parker put the infinity into low and stepped out onto the gravel. So you can see it's very modern, right? It's got all these yeah. vehicles we all recognize. And, yeah. So can you answer my question about yeah. Parker? Yes. Okay. So um, in I think it's the third book, the next book, um, Parker talks of, or we find out that Parker was in the army during World uh-huh. War Two. <laughs> Wait, he, what? Yeah. He's in the army during World War Two, and he uh, was dishonorably discharged for um, black marketeering. He was selling army parts to uh, maybe the Nazis or something. <laughs> it's not clear who he's selling it to. Civilians, maybe. He's selling, like, trucks uh, or something. Um, so uh, in, if, if you cal- do the calculations, if he was in his 20s uh, during the war, in uh, 63, it would have been near his 40s, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, so... How old is Parker? He's always the same age. Um, I guess like Archie Andrews. Yeah, like Archie Andrews. There you go. Or, or, he's always or, in high school, or like right? Prince Corwin. Yeah, he's always in his prime, right? Oh my God! Now I really see Zelazny taking like okay. Eight, well, but, but but by 1969, you wouldn't have had years of Parker to figure that out. But it's like, but it's like too. It's like Parker lasts forever, just like. Prince Corrin lasts forever because, you he's, know, they're immortal. He's like Batman, right? He's a, he, <laughs> he, he, he's never, he's always with us, right, is the idea. Um, he is an iconic figure like um, those other ones. But the, I think the, the key difference, right, is that he, he literally does not have better aim than anybody else, right? He's not like uh, Wolverine, he is a healing factor or anything. He's just mm-hmm. a guy, but his superpower is that he's all about efficiency and Getting it done. And and then Westlake does his damnedest to make sure that it, he can't be efficient. And that's where sort of the, the comedy and the novels come mm-hmm. in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, by the way, there is one other uh, opening line. Um, remember Jimmy the Kid? That uh, yeah. Dortmunder book. Uh, with, the, with, with, the fake, with the fake Parker novel in it. Which is called Child Heist. We have the opening uh, line for that. When the guard came, op- uh, came to open the cell door, Parker said to the big man named Kraus... Come see me next week when you get out. <laughs> so he was in prison twice. <laughs> right. Huh. 
Wow. I had no idea of this world that you've introduced us to, Jesse. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've heard, Donald, I've heard Donald Westlake, but, you know, I mean, crime is not generally something I go seeking out. So it's like, oh, I've heard the name, but yeah, never actually delved into it. Now you've given me this uh, window into this world and found connections to stuff I do read. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate I appreciate you appreciating it. <laughs> uh, you know, I I used to say I only read science fiction or fantasy or horror, right? And then I I found Lawrence Block, and he wasn't really writing science fiction or fantasy or horror. And then uh, I reading Lawrence Block, I found Donald Westlake and Richard Stark. And then I okay, I'm reading something else as well. So I, I years and years and years ago, I made a separate website that was exactly like my SFF Audio website, but uh, for everything that wasn't um, uh, science fiction, fantasy, or horror. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a lot of work running two websites that are exactly the same, except for uh, except for you know the genre thing. So I I eventually collapsed them into one. Um, uh. But the thing is, is uh, I actually sort of realized now I'm, I'm more likely to read a writer than I am to read a genre. Mm-hmm. So if I really like a writer, I'll read whatever they write. Right? You'll follow them out yeah. of genre to somewhere else. Yeah, or, exactly. or yeah, out of their uh, yeah, out of their narrow subgenre into whatever whatever they're doing at the moment, and then come back. Yeah. Right. Well, you already said it, it was about the ideas. It is, right. and and the thing is, is you know. Block inhabits a world that I don't inhabit, um, mm-hmm. but he writes really lucidly about it, and it makes me uh, um, say, "Wow, it's it's like exploring another world." Well, it, I've never it, been it, to New York. I, I don't know what it's like. I don't know what New Jersey's like, except through the eyes of Westlake and Stark. <laughs> and then in this one too, though, like this is a completely we, we probably haven't you know torn people's faces off or killed anybody, but. He says that there are always the same people in every job. There's the one that has to be watched like Alma and the one that wants to quit and the one that's buried all of his money everywhere. And it's like that. It, that's like completely universal. Like it's like in the breakfast club, you know, oh, yes. there's the jock, the overachiever. The, it's like in, in anywhere you go. Right. It's you the have same. your archetypes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I, I hope you uh, you have found this new world interesting and. Um, I'm glad we got to and exciting. Yeah. And so short. I love that it's – this is where I uh, – you know, those paperbacks from the 60s that, you know, they called them novels, but today they'd be called them novelettes or something. Yeah. Um, short stories, right? Because they, they take – you could read them in a day. They don't well, was, take – Didn't we recently read another one that was short and really well done? Was it mm-hmm. The Protector? Yeah, Protector, Protector was, was Yeah, 218 pages. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely true that uh, back then books were thin, and you know they got thicker and, and thicker. I, ideas were long. Yeah, and I, I mean it's not that Stephen King's a terrible writer; it's just because he writes long and because he's so successful, um, they just sort of started thickening up. I think a lot, a lot because of him and his success. I think, uh, right, you know, Paul's right in pointing to. Uh, to Zelazny, you know, looking at at Westlake's books and saying these are these are good. And notice that uh, Nine Princes and Ambers is a very thin volume, right? 
Yeah, I was about to look at how long it was. It's it's can't it can't even be two. It's 175 they, pages. They're all like they're all pretty much like that in in the the paperback market. I'm not talking about like you know the Leon Uris novels that were so popular right. back then that nobody ever reads or talks about now, but you can still find them as doorstops. <laughs> well, I, in something you tweeted out for this book, did it say 35 cents on the cover? Um, I think so. Something like I that. thought that's what it's like. You just like, like candy. <laughs> Absolutely. You pick them up at the drugstore, right? Mm-hmm. I was thinking about you, Misa, when, um, <laughs> when, uh, to kill time, what did uh, Parker do? He went to double features. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lots of movies. Right. There's a line about, uh, this was his third double feature, or fourth double feature. Yeah, there was. Right. And I, I, I think about, like, what does Parker think about while he's watching these movies? Because he's not like a normal person, right? He doesn't, it, there's almost something, it's like there's something wrong with him. Because he, he can't, he has no social relations with people. Um, mm-hmm. He lies to everybody. Only person he doesn't lie to is himself. Uh, but he also doesn't think about himself. And um, when uh, Westlake or Stark has um, has people describe what Parker's like rather than him, you know, Stark mm-hmm. doing it, when he has characters doing it, one of the words that I thought uh, was a good one, he, I'm not sure what book it's in, he called him self-contained. Like, oh. he's not um, got parts of himself outside of himself, if you know. I mean, it's kind of a weird way of thinking, but um, unconscious is also kind of what I would think of. Like, what he thinks about himself is he doesn't. He's not self-conscious. He's aware of what he needs to be in the situation. He is kind of like an actor. And I think that's where that Grofield character sort of developed out of who's a much more theatrical guy, right? Who, yeah, he thinks of himself as an actor, but he really is a criminal, mm-hmm. right? Because that's how he makes his living. He's a professional criminal. But he enjoys acting. <laughs> and so he thinks of himself as an actor, and he's playing a role. And Parker plays roles every time he meets somebody. The closest to him not having a role is when he's talking to Handy McKay. But even there, he's playing a role. And you remember the scene where, um, I can't remember the name of uh, Alma's boyfriend, uh, Slim? No, it's not Slim. Skim. Skim. Terrible name. Skim. Skim, yeah. Um, when he goes over to Skim's house, uh, and he describes what the place looks like, it's like, just like it's falling apart. And remember how, how, uh, the, the clinic was falling apart as well? Oh, yeah. yeah. There's, there's kind of like this, uh, fear of, of uh, losing your stuff, right? Or, or, or the abandoned farm where he stashes. Exactly. Uh, yeah, there is so much falling apart. apart. Yeah. There's a lot of um, that sense of you know, is is it the world that's falling apart, or is yeah, it and and all those people, apart? all those people that bought uh, swampland in in Florida right. too. Right. Yep. It's a good point. Um, there's uh, this idea of the world's falling apart, and he's he's keeping his shit together. Uh, but when he goes over to Skim, and Skim's making coffee on the stove the way, uh, I don't know, prison sellies, sellies make it, right? And the only way he oh, knows Oh, is that where how. that comes from? Yeah, he's I, like how you make coffee in prison, I guess. Um, uh-huh. I didn't know you made coffee in prison, but apparently you do. Uh-huh. Um, 
uh, and they tr they try to have a conversation, and Parker doesn't even like the coffee, but he he drinks it, and he sits through it. Um, but he can only take it so long, right? The inane conversation that's coming out of this guy who's being duped by his girlfriend, he can't even tell him, right? They agree. Andy McCain, it's like, there's no point in telling this guy. Mm -hmm. And the next time we see him, uh, he's dead in the car with a paring knife in his gut, right? Right. Yeah. That's, that's a brutal, horrible world. But I've had many <laughs> interactions with people where I say, this is not going to end well for you. But I know in my previous attempts to talk to you about this there's no way for me to talk you out of it right and I, they don't usually end up with paring knives in them but they do end <laughs> no. up burned and and all i can do is like parker just sit there drink the coffee and try and make nice until it's enough time has passed that they feel like they got the socialization that they needed and that's that's a horror that's a horror that um uh, i think is not usually expressed in novels or other stuff. And that's, I, I think that's the, besides, you know, it's cleanly written and all that stuff. It's got lots of uh, what's going to happen next action. I, I think because he was freed of the constraints of having to have good guys have good endings and bad yep. guys have bad endings, he could just do whatever he wanted at that point. And, and it, because it isn't about, it isn't really about the money either, right? I mean, that's what Parker that's the unconscious part, right? He's He's got a bag full of money at the beginning of the story. $9,000 or something like that. And in 1963, $9,000 would buy you a house and a car, right? But he never felt like that was enough. He was always talking about how he needed another job in the, in the, because, in the on the fire. Right. Because he, he lives, um, he lives for the action, Right. And yeah. notice what did he, what does he do with the money once he's got it? He, he sees it into little banks. <laughs> all mm -hmm. over the place, right? I was wondering, like a squirrel, how's he going to remember all these places where he put it? There weren't bank cards then. And there weren't bank cards, but also, like, um, spreading it all around like that, It's he's like he's trying to get rid of it. Or, or he's just trying, I, I, was, I was interpreting it as trying to avoid IRS attention, but yeah. Sure. It's a, but sure, it, that's it's what he like, tells himself, right? But mm -hmm. really, the, the the major problem is he needs to. I mean, this is the point of existence. If you don't if you don't believe in a gun, you don't believe in an afterlife. And you can't believe in marriage because you're she betrayed you. What are you gonna do? Well, that doesn't make him too much different from uh, Skim, who buried it. Who buried That's it? That's exactly my point. Is is Skim is sort of a pathetic version of Parker, right? He's fallen apart. He's he's lost. He he's like Parker from the first book. Um, or ah. previous to the book, the first book, right? He he was betrayed by his girl. Right, which hardened him. Yeah. Right, and turned him into the... And turned him into... In right. whatever it is he is, right? Like a shark constantly feeding, right? Mm -hmm. Has to keep moving. Um, and then in, even in those descriptions... You know that, what? He needs a bigger boat. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't worry, he gets on a boat later, but... Um, it's all, it's the thing is, is he, he's either, if you were looking at it from a, uh, psychological perspective, he's either got a death wish, right? He wants to be killed by the cops, uh, or he wants to be punished. He wants to be thrown in prison or there's some other motivation. And since he is, yeah, well, that's the thing about all the, the sloppiness. Yeah, that's right. So he's trying, he is actually trying to avoid 
going to prison, right? So he doesn't kill people, um, be, not because it's wrong to kill people, but because it causes too much trouble. It's one of the ones on your list, Misa, right? Mm. Don't, it brings too much heat. Um, and, and yet you need a purpose. And without a purpose, um, that, that book, The Jugger, is about that. It's like, here's a guy who actually did retire, not just talk about like Handy McKay, but actually did retire. And what happens to him? He went soft. He says, there's this line he says about him, his 11s were up. <laughs> and it's like, what the hell's that mean? So Westlake explains that men have these two cords on the back of their neck, right? That mm-hmm. connect their head to their, uh, oh, by the way, Skim had a chicken head, right? Chicken neck. Yeah. Um, um, they have these cords that attack, attach their head to their, their torso. And when you can see them prominently sticking out, that means your 11s are up, and that means you're going to die soon, right? It's like, well, how, how would one know? You can't see those for yourself, right? But it's instant to Parker. He knows, oh, he's, he's, this guy's unreliable, right? He's, he's going. Um, Charles, Charles Wells is another one who retired and couldn't stand it. Yep. And came back. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure what this means in terms of writing, but, um, <laughs> I know that Lawrence Block, he always is retiring like, like Handy McKay. Oh, it's his last book always? He always, he's always, he's been retiring since the eighties. And he says, <laughs> yeah, I think that's it for me. Cause he finishes a book, right? And he's saying, I think that's it for me. And then says, what do you know? There's another book out. <laughs> so, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know where it came from. It just I I went on vacation and right. He doesn't need the money. He's he's got enough now. He's he's got some movies done. He's got lots of good back catalog. He's still in print, right? Um, yeah, it's good to have a little bit more money. But really, the reason he's writing is not because of the money. It's because he needs to write. Mm-hmm. And uh, Westlake was writing right up to the end. So, um, well, why do we have any unfinished Westlake? Sorry. Are there unfinished ones? Like, is there a ha- um, an unfinished Richard Stark or an unfinished Wesley? Well, um, I don't know about unfinished, um, but there were some that were in drawers. And uh, oh. subsequent to his death, they have some of them have been released, at least two, I think. And I did shows on both of those. Um, and were they on par with the, with the rest of his uh yeah, so basically the way it works is, um, like I, I was saying, how he sets up his books, right, is he, he gets some characters, and then he has them knocking into each other in some way, and whether it works or not, it's always a good ride, but sometimes it works extraordinarily well. I think it works very, very well in this in this book, mm-hmm. um, and sometimes it works out less well, but I think he doesn't know whether it's going to work out well or not, because the way he writes it is it's kind of like role playing, right? You put the characters into the scenario and mm-hmm. you let the pins fly. <laughs> right. Right. So, so do we know why he stopped writing Parker for 20 some odd years and then went back? Um, did- don't know exactly. I, I would guess that it has something to do with writing a lot more Dortmunders. Those are the, co- the comedic ones, right? Oh, okay. So he, so he just switched gears. For and um, and the thing is, is I really got into the Parker books right before they sort of came back in the '90s, right? I was I was like, man, these books are great. And I think probably what happened was um, uh, that modern uh, block book bringing 
bringing attention to an old Westlake Stark novel brought it back. But he he wrote a, basically a, at least a, a book or two a year for 10 years, and then there was that 25-year break. So I, I mean, I mean, I mean, his, uh, I mean, he just has, seems to have such uh, such a high output. Rate. I mean, kind of reminds me of Philip K. Dick that way, like book after book, 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 yeah, book, well, but, but even more so. Yeah, but but also remember they're short, right? So that year, 1963, there was three Star, uh, Stark Parker novels, and then you know one it's March, September, and December, right? So they all got written in very short period of time. But then mm-hmm. he's also writing Westlake books. And oh, right. God, really? Yeah. So the, the real writers, the, the pros like Westlake and Block and uh, Silverberg, right? They all – yeah, I was going to say Silverberg was on that list, right? Um, they all were writing that sort of thing. And it the, the real writers, they don't take a year to write their book. They take, <laughs> take a short amount of time um, because they're constantly writing. And they um, uh, Sherlock Holmes books were going out that fast too, weren't they? Yeah. Well, the stories were, but he was also writing other stuff on top of that, right? Uh-huh. And he did, yeah. I, I seem to remember at some point we said three months for um, one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I guess we're appro- approximately done. Yeah, I think so. This is great. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That was a great book. I'm glad you liked it. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.